The Jesuit School of Theology at Santa Clara University equips students to live out their theology and transform our world. Generous scholarship opportunities are available. Priority applications are being accepted now. To learn more, visit scu.edu forward slash JST forward slash hello. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. I'm your host, Colleen Dully. Pope Francis has formally changed the way the Catholic Church is approaching same-sex couples. A landmark ruling that will allow Catholic priests to administer blessings to same-sex couples as long as they are not part of regular church rituals or liturgies. On December 18th, the Vatican's Doctrine Office, the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith, issued a declaration called Fiducia Supplicans which opened the possibility for priests to bless same-sex couples and couples who the church considers to be living in what it calls irregular situations. So like unmarried couples that live together, people who are divorced and remarried. Well, it's a spiritual shift that not every Catholic is happy about, but for many same-sex couples, they are thankful for the blessing. The decision seems to be causing a split among U.S. Catholics, with some saying it's a landmark moment and others saying it violates church teachings. Over the last several weeks, reactions to this document have been mixed, both from ordinary Catholics and from bishops, some of whom have already said that they won't allow priests in their dioceses to give any such blessings, especially when these blessings are imparted on same-sex couples. My colleagues at America Media and I have been following these developments closely, and we've been discussing the larger impacts of both this document and the reactions to it. Joining me today for a conversation on exactly that are my colleagues, Vatican correspondent Gerard O'Connell, who is my usual co-host on Inside the Vatican, and America's national correspondent, Michael O'Loughlin. Mike, Jerry, welcome to Inside the Vatican. Good afternoon from sunny but cold Rome, Colleen. <laughs> Good morning from rainy New Orleans. <laughs> Mike, what's the weather for you? <laughs> uh, in Rhode Island, it is sunny and we're expecting more and more and more rain. All right. So... Before we get into our discussion about the reactions, let's just recap some of the basics of this document, Fiducia Supplicans. This was issued and signed by the Dicastery of the Doctrine of the Faith Prefect, Cardinal Fernandez. He just took over that job last year. And by the Doctrine Secretary, Armando Mateo, and it was approved by Pope Francis. Now, this was published as a declaration, which is kind of an unusual type of document for the DDF to issue. They haven't done this since Dominus Jesus in 2000, which was a really big, important document. Jerry, quickly, what was that document? It was about the centrality of Christ and how you dialogued with other religions and how you kept without losing that fundamental centrality. And again, when that document came out, there was confusion. Some people not in agreement with it. Now, despite most of the coverage in the media about fiducia supplicans being about the blessings of same-sex couples, the document actually is much longer and broader. It outlines a whole theology of blessings. It talks about blessings as giving people grace to help them grow closer to God rather than being like a stamp of approval. And then it continues, it is in precisely this context that one can understand the possibility of blessing couples in irregular situations and same-sex couples without officially validating their status or changing in any way the church's perennial teaching on marriage. And then it goes on to make clear that these blessings shouldn't resemble or coincide with weddings and that they can't be carried out in the context of a liturgical celebration. So really drawing that line between blessings and weddings 
weddings and making sure that they don't get confused for one another. So right away, this prompted some strong reactions both for and against the document. I want to start with what ordinary Catholics were saying about it. Mike, you covered this right when it came out and you talked to some ordinary folks about it. What did they have to say? I don't know if they would call themselves ordinary. I think they're all extraordinary in their own ways, but (laughs) they are kind of normal Catholics in the pews. And yeah, I wanted to get a sense, what does this mean to them? I spoke to a Catholic in Chicago named Greg Krajewski, who married his husband about five years ago. And he said at the time, they did not approach a priest for a blessing, even though they're both active Catholics and take their faith seriously. They didn't want to put a priest in an awkward situation where he'd have to say no, or he would offer the blessing, which would kind of go against church teaching, or even just make him uncomfortable by the request. So they went ahead and got married and did not ask for a blessing back then. But he said now that they're allowed under this decree, they will be seeking a blessing. He said that they take their faith seriously, that they're active Catholics, that they see a blessing as a way to grow in holiness, which is what they want. So they said that they'd be approaching a priest and asking for a blessing. So from Greg and from others I talked to, some we've read about in other media outlets, same-sex couples are asking priests for blessings and they're being offered now. So it was a change that led to real events taking place almost immediately. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's difficult to paint all the reactions with one broad brushstroke, right? We heard from one of our colleagues who is a priest at a very like gay-friendly parish that he hasn't seen a groundswell of people coming forward for these. And then at the same time, I remember our colleague Jim Martin, James Martin SJ, was on a call-in radio show in New York like the day this came out. And I listened to the whole show and there were a lot of callers saying, thanks, but this isn't really what we wanted. It isn't it is it doesn't go far enough. It's not church sanctioned marriage. So Jerry, how about on your side of the Atlantic? What's uh what's the reaction been like, I guess, where you are in Italy? Well, the news when it broke on the week before Christmas, we're talking about the eighteenth of December. Everybody's thinking of Christmas and suddenly this news comes out. It was unexpected at that time. And it obviously made headlines in the papers, etc. But I, I didn't see an enormous surprise. People were expecting something at some time to come. The Pope had indicated that he he was open to recognizing blessing as a possibility, but nobody expected it when it came just on the eve of Christmas. We've just had the synod finished and the LGBT acronym was not in the final synthesis document. There had been discussion about that, and that made some news. So obviously there were some reservations within the Synod about bringing this out. So it came as a, somewhat as a, as a surprise, and then you got immediate, as expected, positive responses in Germany, in, in Belgium, in some other countries, and then you got negative responses in Poland, and in Hungary from the bishops. Let's talk about this. So one thing that surprised me about this document was kind of the strong reactions from bishops, both for and against. It It seemed unusual that a document from the Vatican would garner such strong responses. So Mike, I actually want to talk with you first about this, because you're a national correspondent. You rounded up bishops' statements. I mean, how did this break down in the US? What did it, What did the responses from bishops look like? I think the responses from bishops in the United States sort of were predictable in a way. Bishops who have been supportive of Pope Francis and his agenda express support for this new decree. Bishops who have been a little bit more resistant to the Pope express some resistance to this decree. And a lot of people in the middle, I think, kind of didn't say much at all. 
I did notice the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, they did release a statement pretty quickly after the decree came out. And it was interesting timing because just a month before the president of the conference, Archbishop Timothy Broglio, uh, gave a speech to his fellow bishops in which he was a little defensive, kind of hitting back against some criticisms Pope Francis has talked about when it comes to the U.S. hierarchy. So there was already some tension there. So then when this decree came out, the USCCB statement was a little tepid. It really just reiterated that this statement came out. It emphasized that the church's teaching on marriage had not changed. And it didn't talk about same-sex couples at all. It simply said that what the Pope was doing was making an effort to have priests accompany people through various stages in their lives. So it was it was very much not a warm reception, but it was it wasn't hostile either, which I think kind of makes sense of how the USCCB has approached the Pope in general. But there was a great roundup of quotes from the pro-LGBT Catholic group New Ways Ministry, and they sort of bucketed the reactions in a few different camps. There were bishops who have been critical of the Pope in the past who kind of placed some restrictions on this. They said this isn't something that will be happening widespread in their diocese. That was the case in San Francisco, which Archbishop Cordleone, in Denver, which Archbishop Aquila. They really were trying to rein this in, I think, a little bit and push back against the narrative that this was the Pope opening blessings to same-sex couples. Some bishops went even further and really emphasized the sinfulness of Catholics living in same-sex relationships. So sort of, I think, the opposite of what this decree was actually trying to do. The bishops of South Dakota released a joint letter in which they said that these Catholics were living lies that were not in accord with church teaching and really kind of hammering that point home. There was even one bishop in the U.S. who used the occasion to reiterate his belief that Catholics in same-sex relationships should not take communion. So something very much outside the the scope of the decree. Uh, so there was a fair bit of opposition, I think. And in my own reporting, I think I fell into the trap a little bit of focusing on that because it is newsy. But there was also quite a bit of positive reaction, I think. Cardinal Supich of Chicago called the decree a step forward. Cardinal McElroy of San Diego, he wrote a lengthy letter to priests a few days after the decree came out, reflected on what the blessings mean, how it was a, a positive contribution to the church's theology of blessings, and then talked about how this was an opportunity for priests to be creative in responding to new pastoral situations. So very much on board with that, while also saying that there was certainly no obligation for priests to offer these kinds of blessings, which I think is an important caveat. Just last week in America, we published an essay from the Bishop of Youngstown, Ohio, David Bonner, a fairly lengthy uh, defense of, of the decree in which he called it a moment to bring Christ closer to those in need. So really a range of reactions, but pretty predictable in terms of whether you were supporting the Pope, you were supporting this. And if you were skeptical of the Pope, you were probably skeptical of this. Yeah, and I would say that that is also mirrored in the global stage, right? We had a lot of acceptance of the document early on from bishops in Western Europe, for example, like Jerry mentioned, uh, the heads of the German and Austrian bishops' conferences, the bishops' conferences of Belgium and Switzerland, and then the head of the Argentine bishops, the Bishop of Hong Kong, Stephen Chow, and Cardinal Oswald Gracious of Mumbai also came out in support of it. These two, Chow and Gracious, hold key roles under Pope Francis. After this document came out, some of the first resistance came out of both Eastern and Central Europe and Africa. So we heard from the Polish Episcopal Conference, bishops in Hungary, and then Malawi, Zambia, and Cameroon, all saying that they weren't going to implement this. And then over the next two weeks, several more African bishops and bishops groups put out similar statements. 
The Vatican has issued a new five-page statement in an attempt to calm some bishops who reacted negatively to last month's approval of blessings for same-sex couples. This clarifying document emphasizes that, above all, pastoral prudence must be used before imparting any blessing. So after this kind of mixed reaction from the bishops, some outright rejecting it, and after they had explicitly stated in the original declaration that they weren't going to say anything more on this matter, the Dicastery for the Doctrines of Faith actually responded to some of the criticism in a press release that they issued on January 4th. And in this, they specifically say that fiducia supplicants cannot be called heretical. They talk about how bishops have a right to discern, but also urge them not to react strongly right away, but to read the whole document and reflect on it. It also clarified some things about these blessings, namely that they should be short or a few seconds. So Jerry, this seems really unusual to me, both that bishops would say that they're not going to implement something and then for the Vatican to have to follow it up. Can, can you think of a time that they've had to do this before? So it's not the first time that a declaration, a document of which is a certain level of authority, has come out and has provoked controversy and reaction. I mean, if you go way back to 1968, I think, when Paul VI issued the encyclical Humanae Vitae. Mm -hmm. This is the one on birth control, right? On birth control, yes. That produced enormous reaction. If you read back the reaction of the times, there were bishops coming out dis totally disagreeing with it, and it was across the continents. That really was a watershed moment in, in the pontificate of Paul VI. After that, the next document that really produced a lot of discussion was the declaration in the year 2000 called Dominus Jesus, the Lord Jesus. And it was about the role of Christ as unique savior of the world. And this came out at a time when there was discussion about the dialogue with other religions. The declaration was presented at a Vatican press conference by Cardinal Ratzinger. I remember I was at it. They were taking a lot of different kinds of questions from the press. The document came out, but with a lot of possibility to clarify, to raise questions, etc. Nevertheless, it raised a lot of questions. There was controversy and some confusion about whether it was going back on the theology of the Second Vatican Council. So much so that John Paul II, the following Sunday, he spoke defending this document. He felt the need to intervene immediately to defend what the con then Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith had published under the signature of Cardinal Ratzinger with his approval. He felt the need to, as it were, stop the opposition to it. But the opposition rolled on. So maybe we haven't seen resistance at this scale before, but we have seen the Vatican have to clarify after a document like this has faced resistance. Now, Mike, I want to jump back to you. So after this press release came out, some gay and lesbian Catholics were disappointed by this, right? Can you tell me more about that second round of reaction? It was a bit of a roller coaster after the press release came out. There was this sort of jubilation right before Christmas where gay and lesbian Catholics thought that Pope Francis had finally enacted a concrete change that was a positive step forward for the LGBT community. And then this press release comes out and 
I think if people were still paying attention, there was a great deal of disappointment in some ways, in part because the press release really re-emphasized once again the church's teaching on marriage, that same-sex couples were not able to participate in that sacrament, the sinfulness of irregular situations for people in same-sex relationships or remarried and divorced Catholics. There was a sense that it was maybe the pendulum had swung too far the other way, sort of emphasizing traditional church teaching on this issue. And it almost felt like it was downplaying what these blessings were. I think in the days right after the decree came out, there was a sense that LGBT Catholics and same-sex relationships were being offered something. And then this press release came out and it almost said, you know, this isn't anything new. Priests have always been able to bless items, people as they're going through different stages in life. This, this isn't anything new. And remember that they're sinners and they need God's help. So there was this real sense, I think, of deflation among some LGBT Catholics. Whether it was as widely understood, the press release, as the original decree, I don't know. I, I remember talking to one friend who's Catholic, and I was explaining some of this, uh, what I just said about this sense of disappointment following the press release. And they said, well, the media reported on the initial document, people think the church can bless same-sex couples now. I think that's the reality, because that's what people understand this document to be. So sort of a sense that the, the media narrative drives reality in a way. I think there is some truth to that. But if people were still paying attention and looking at the nuances, I think there was a sense of stepping back a little bit. And maybe it wasn't as big a step forward as people initially thought. I want to ask you on a personal level, I mean, you are a gay Catholic who has sought out these blessings in the past, and you've been covering this, both the press release and the original story. What has your own experience of this been like? Yeah, it's been interesting. When the decree came out, I also was heartened that it seemed to be some kind of step forward for the LGBT Catholic community. And I also thought that this isn't actually new. I think one of the, the genius of Pope Francis is that he really just recognizes the reality of life. And priests have been offering blessings to same-sex couples for quite a while. When I wrote my book about the church's response to HIV and AIDS, I interviewed several priests who said that they had prayed with same-sex couples, one of whom was dying from age-related complications back in the 80s and 90s. So there was a sort of blessing offered to a same-sex couple back then. So we know it's been going on at least for a few decades. I've sought out a similar blessing, probably wasn't technically allowed because this document hadn't been released yet, but it was simply a way of living out my faith. It was something that other Catholics sometimes do and maybe take for granted. And to me, it was like saying a prayer or attending mass. It was an opportunity to live out my faith in a different way. So I, I think what I appreciated about the document was it was the Pope once again looking at the concrete realities of people's lives and sort of bring that out into the open rather than pretending it doesn't already happen or pretending it doesn't exist and offering some guidelines and guardrails, but also saying, yes, accompany Catholics, including Catholics in same-sex relationships as they seek to be closer to God. Maybe this is the way we can pastorally accompany them without changing church teaching. We're going to take a break now, and when we come back, we'll talk more about those concrete realities and how they vary across cultures. We'll also look at why the African bishops are publicly saying no to such blessings and why Pope Francis has allowed them to freely express their discontent. Stay with us. Welcome back. Before the break, we were talking about the reactions to the Vatican's press release that clarified and to some seemed to further restrict the blessings that had opened up for couples in irregular situations. 
We talked about the second wave of reactions from gay and lesbian Catholics, but there was also a new round of reactions from bishops. Blessings to couples in same-sex relationships will not be offered in Africa and Madagascar. The president of the Symposium of the Episcopal Conferences of Africa and Madagascar cited confusion and the risk of scandal in a letter released Thursday. So nine bishops in France said that they wouldn't do the blessings, and then the French Bishops' Conference came out with a statement in support, although this doesn't refer to all of them agreeing. And then we also learned of a statement from CCAM. This is the Symposium of Episcopal Conferences of Africa and Madagascar. So we talked earlier about how some African bishops came out saying that they weren't going to give blessings to same-sex couples. Now they have come out with a statement saying, on behalf of the whole conference, the bishops of Africa, quote, generally prefer not to give these blessings. Cherry, I want to ask you about this. How did this come together? Once the 18 December document came from the Vatican, some bishops' conferences, three or four, you mentioned them, Cameroon, Malawi, Zambia, and I think Nigeria, came out immediately and said, we are not going to give such blessings. It will create confusion in our people. We stand by the church's teaching. When he saw this, the president of the African bishops' conferences, Cardinal Ambongo, who is a member of the Pope's Council of Nine Cardinal Advisors, decided that let's have the views of all the bishops' conferences in Africa, and let's have them by the 15th of January so that we can have a position from the African church on this question. He received all the responses fairly quickly, as far as I can understand, and he issued this summary statement for the press. He obviously gave more information to the Vatican, saying that we prefer, as bishops' conferences in Africa, not to give the blessings. Yeah, and I want to point something out here because it was released for the press with the headline, no to blessings for same-sex couples. But then in the text itself, it just said generally prefer. The text is a little softer. It's modified somewhat. And it also says that we will continue to reflect on, on blessings. So it allows individual bishops the freedom to do it. Anyway, they're not legislating for Africa. It recognizes that the Vatican document approved by the Pope did not mandate blessings. It opened the possibility of blessings. And obviously, they're conscious of the legal situation, this criminalization in many countries of Africa. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important for us to point out that you know homosexuality is illegal in about 30 African countries. It's punishable by death in some. So part of the concern that they expressed was that they didn't want to expose people who came forward for blessings who were in same-sex relationships. They didn't want to expose them to violence or danger. There's also this question about whether the church is called to take a prophetic stance on this after especially the Pope has called for the decriminalization of homosexuality. We have an analysis piece in Outreach, which is America's resource for LGBT Catholics, that's analyzing this statement. And it points out that this is not maybe a no forever. It takes into account kind of the the pastoral development that could happen. But Jerry, going back to this statement from the the CCAM, the Symposium of the Episcopal Conferences of Africa and Madagascar, it said that Pope Francis had approved or agreed with this statement. Can you explain what that meant? Yes, the opening statement said, in agreement with 
Pope Francis and with Cardinal Fernandez, the head of the doctrine for the faith, we are sending this message. Now, in agreement with, I, I know for a fact that they actually, that Cardinal Ombongo contacted both the Pope and the Cardinal Fernandez and discussed it with them. So he got their agreement to make known the results of the positions of the African bishops. So we are supposed to believe that the Pope signed off on this in some way? Well, he agreed to them making their positions known. That's how I read it. I think the, the important thing here is to realize this is not a question of doctrine. One has to emphasize this. You're not dealing with a question of doctrine. You're dealing with a question of a pastoral approach to issues. And I think a failure to make that distinction leads one into many problems. Right. And in the Francis papacy, we've seen that Francis is open to a large variety of like pastoral decisions, pastoral practice, but not, you know, disagreements on doctrine, right? So, you know, for example, with the Latin mass, he said, okay, we need to restrict this. He put in place the guidelines, but then he really kind of decentralized it to the bishops in a similar way as he's doing here. And it may seem odd that Pope Francis would approve of or agree with these African bishops saying that they prefer not to do this. But actually, this is very much in line with Francis wanting every bishop to take into account their local culture, their local situation, and to say, okay, we're choosing this specific implementation because of those things. Francis moves with pastoral approach, but with prudence. And those two elements are evident in this response saying, agree to make your position known, because the Catholic Church is a big tent, and there are different positions, and there is no need for uniformity on a question which is not doctrinal. I think this is the the bottom line. We just have a few minutes left. So before we go, I want to just get final thoughts on this. We, we've talked about a lot of different things here, but if you have one big takeaway from this whole story, what might it be? Mike, I'll start with you. I think what struck me about the release of the document was Pope Francis has for 10 years now been making kind remarks and gestures toward the LGBT Catholic community and clearly wanted to do something that showed that they're welcome. He's calling for a merciful and welcoming church. He also recognizes the precarious situation of the global Catholic communion. He certainly knows about other Christian denominations that have been torn apart by this issue, literally schism in other Christian churches over the issue of homosexuality. So I think what he was trying to do was offer a way for priests to respond to concrete realities in a pastoral way, in creative ways, while also allowing people who aren't quite ready to go down this road to maintain their Catholic identity, to maintain their membership in this global communion. And I think he's trying to walk a tightrope here. How do we make the church welcoming and merciful while also recognizing that churches in various parts of the world aren't quite on the same page with this issue? So for me, what I took away from this was the Pope was creating room for experimentation. We'll see how this plays out. We'll see how same-sex couples, how divorced and remarried couples, how often they approach priests for blessings, how priests respond. There's room for creativity, or maybe as a way Catholics might understand it, there's room to respond to what the Holy Spirit is doing in the church. So that's my big takeaway. I think this is the beginning of a discussion about this topic. It's certainly by no means the end of the conversation. 
right, Jerry, your closing thoughts. I agree with much of what Mike has said. I'm struck by when Francis was elected in the Sistine Chapel, and he said, I'm a sinner. And he's kept saying it ever since. And when, when we go to church on Sunday at the Mass, there's a prayer there towards the end before communion addressed to Christ saying, look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church. And I think somehow in some of the reaction to this, there's a failure to understand that we're all sinners. And it's a point the Pope has kept emphasizing. And he's trying to keep open to the mercy of God in different ways. And one of the mercies of God is through blessings. And it strikes me that he has opened a door and it's not going to be closed. If you look back historically, think back to the Second Vatican Council, when they approved the decree on the liturgy and they decided you can have the vernacular, you can have the liturgy in your own language, not in Latin. There was at that time a lot of different reactions to that. And yet today, we see now it's practically universally accepted. Francis is far-seeing. He looks far ahead. And I think he knew what he was doing when he was approving this. He's trying to, as he did with Amoris Laetitia, addressing the question of communion to the divorce and remarried, he's saying, maybe we need a to really change our way of looking at questions and try and look more in terms of what he says, God's vision with closeness, with tenderness, with mercy. I think that my interpretation of this is focused a little more on the political than the spiritual, but this is a very different direction that Cardinal Fernandez is moving the dicastery for the doctrine of the faith in. He's been communicating a lot more. He's been issuing these responses to dubia in cases that it's hard to imagine previous heads of the DDF doing. And I think it'll be interesting to see where all of this goes under Cardinal Fernandez and what effect it has on, first, the perception of the Catholic Church in society. Like Mike said, in a way, the truth is what has been reported in the press. And so people hear the church is taking this step towards being more open to LGBT Catholics. I remember on Twitter the day this came out, Pope Woke was trending. And at the same time, there's that risk of broadening the divisions in the church. I I appreciated what Mike said about this gives some room for experimentation, like with the African bishops having Pope Francis's agreement to their statement that they want to discern this more, but they generally prefer not to do it. I think there is that kind of elasticity almost in the Pope allowing for different applications and different, you know, speeds at which people are discerning and implementing this. At the same time, given how strong the reaction was against it in some places, I I'm curious to see, while the perception of the church and society seems to be improving in a way, I, I feel like it has a real risk of making the divisions worse. All right, that is about all the time we have. I really want to thank you both, Mike and Jerry, for coming on and, and for having this conversation. I feel like we could have gone on for a lot longer, but thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And this conversation will, of course, be continuing in America's Pages and on our website. You can read a lot more of our coverage of Fiducia Suplicans and our analyses of it at the link in our show notes. 
A few quick headlines from the last week before we go. The government of Nicaragua has released Bishop Rolando Alvarez of Gatagalpa to Vatican authorities after he was in prison for over a year. His release follows an agreement with the Vatican last week. Alongside Bishop Alvarez, President Daniel Ortega also released 18 other priests and seminarians who were accused of supporting 2018 protests that Ortega believed were aimed at overthrowing him. And on January 14th, Pope Francis was interviewed on an Italian TV show in which he made a widely covered comment that he likes to think hell is empty. He also addressed the resistance to fiducia supplicants in that interview and shared that he isn't thinking of resigning. You can read a full write-up of that interview and all of our coverage of what's been happening in Nicaragua at the link in our show notes. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media, and it's produced by me and Ricardo da Silva. Audio engineering is by Kevin Christopher Robles, with production assistance from Delaney Coyne, our O'Hare Media Fellow, and Vivian Richard at the Jesuit Curia in Rome. Our executive producer is Sebastian Gomes. This show is in part recorded at the studio inside the Jesuits' international headquarters in Rome. To keep up with the latest news out of the Vatican, please follow us on X at INSDE Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. You can also follow me on X and Instagram at Colleen Dully, that's C-O-L-L-E-E-N-D-U-L-L-E, and you can follow Jerry on X at Jerry O. Rome, that's G-E-R-R-Y-O-R-O-M-E. Please consider becoming a digital subscriber to America Media. Just click the link in our show notes. It's really easy to do, and it's the best way to support our work here on Inside the Vatican. And if you have a little time to spare, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. For America Media, with Gerard O'Connell and Michael O'Loughlin, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Dully. We'll see you next time.